Welcome to the Questions for the Sages podcast. I'm Michael Scherer. Today I spoke with Anutama Das, who is a well-respected and well-spoken member of the Hare Krishna movement. We spoke about civic responsibilities, the Hare Krishna place in the world, spiritual life, and questions about being an American. You can hear the Questions for the Sages podcast on questionsforthesages.com, the Questions for the Sages Facebook page, Apple Podcasts, and on YouTube. Thanks to the Hare Krishna community of Potomac, Maryland, for making this podcast possible. Welcome to Questions for the Sages, a podcast from the Washington, D.C. area. I'm Michael Scherer, and today I feel rather privileged to be talking to Anutama Das, who I think has a, a, a special place in the Hare Krishna movement. Um, thank you for being on the podcast. I'm very honored to be here. I've heard some of the earlier podcasts, and I think they're inspiring for, for your listeners. Now, people who are listening aren't necessarily going to be uh, familiar with the Hare Krishna movement, with this temple. Um, could you explain your role here? Yes, happy to. I actually have a, a couple different roles. On an international level, which is my primary focus, I'm the director of communications for the International Society for Krishna Consciousness, or ISKCON, the Hare Krishna movement on a global level. And then, in a more local level, I am the governing body commissioner, so I have some oversight responsibilities for five or six temples, communities in this area, from West Virginia to Delaware, Maryland, like that, Pennsylvania. And then, locally, I am also have this GBC oversight at the Washington, D.C. Temple, and part of that is I'm on the board of directors. So, And the Washington, D.C. Temple is, is this temple? In, in the Potomac, Maryland, yes. Yeah. yeah, this is the main Krishna temple in the metropolitan Washington, D.C. area. And officially, it's ISKCON of Washington, D.C., so yes, but it's based in Potomac. Yeah, and I, and I see you um, not every Sunday that I'm here, but I always assume that you're busy involved in ISKCON? Well, I spent a lot of time traveling. Um, I was in, I, I, I go to India a couple times a year for usually at least a month. I was in Russia earlier this year. I, I was in France. I was in Portugal. Um, sometimes wow. I go to South America. Occasionally been to China a couple times. So I spent a lot of time traveling. Connected to the communications service. And what does the communications service do? Well, primarily our concern is that understanding, well, communication is the sense of building relationships. We're concerned about ours as a personalist movement. We believe that people count. We believe that the ultimate reality is the supreme person. So we want to build good relationships with in our communities, with our neighbors, with other religious or spiritual organizations, with the government, with other non-profit NGO type organizations that have shared goals and values. Um, we're concerned about issues like human rights and religious freedom. So those are things that the communications ministry takes as its priority, how to enhance those things. And because our tradition is a very ancient one, in Bhagavad Gita our primary scripture was written according to the tradition 5,000 years ago. Sometimes scholars say it's not that old, but either way it's, it's quite old. 
So the tradition goes back a long, long time, but the organization itself, as far as a global movement, only began in 1965 when Swami Bhaktivedanta Prabhupada brought the Krishna or the Bhakti tradition from India, and then ISKCON itself as a something that actually had existence uh, was formulated in 1966. So the point being that we've only been around for 50 years, so the tradition is very ancient, but our participation in the larger society is still kind of evolving and communications is a big advocate for we need to be more active members in the world, bringing our spiritual values into that conversation and contributing in, in, in a variety of ways, kind of inspired by those values and, and viewpoints. You know, I something that I, I, I wrestle with in ISKCON is, is um, uh, what it is to be an American. And uh, I, I really, we did not prepare for this interview, and, and, and I, I'm not going to, uh, you know, try and uh, sideside you with a really hard question, but I do struggle with sort of my civic identity uh, in that I'm not sure that ISKCON has a favorable notion of uh, American civic life. Yes, well... Now, and and, and I, I just want to preface that by saying the first podcast that I ever did was just uh, me asking a question, and it was related, it was, it was on the birthday of Martin Luther King Jr., it was about uh, voting rights, and, and voting rights within uh, the Varnashram Dharma system, which is sort of the social economic system that seems to be idealized in the scriptures. And so from the beginning of this podcast, it's always something that I sort of touch upon and struggle with because I'm, I'm a little uncomfortable disparaging the American economic social system without a very clear idea of, uh, well, here's a system that would be better. And I'm not sure that today the sort of the Vedic social system is operable or, or optimal. That's about a hundred points in one. <laughs> Sorry about that. One rather but you long know what question. I, the other thing well, is, let me, let me, you're the only person I feel like I can really unburden this and, and, and you know, like you can really assess this. Well, thank you for allowing me to help you with your burdens. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's see what I can do. I mean, there's a lot of points you touched on. I mean, first and foremost, Prabhupada came to America. Our founder, Prabhupada Swami Prabhupada, came to America because, one, America was the, the most vibrant, dynamic country in the world that was very much leading the world. Someone may question today if that role has lessened, if that position has is, is been squandered or whatever. But either way, at that point in time, America was clearly the leader previous uh, uh, teachers from our tradition had gone to London with, 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 with very, very, very minimal, uh, with, with, some, with some success. But um, Prabhupada, when he came west in 1965, his focus was to come to New York because they understood America really was the place to make a difference. Because of its importance and also this more directly connected your point that it is a, ideally a beacon to the world of religious freedom, individual freedom, uh, the opportunities for individuals to really not live within a social system ideally that would repress their ultimate, what we would say is the ultimate value of life, which is reawakening their spiritual identity and their relationship with God. So in that sense, it's, um, 
it's very important to to appreciate the contributions that America has has you know what the opportunities are here. So no question disparaging that. At the same time, we're an international movement, so we've got tremendous growth in Russia. There are Christian devotees in China. There's in South America, all over the world, and I know I travel a lot of these places and. And as an American, one I think is a little bit broadened my vision through my international travels. Phenomenal contributions that America makes, and I think in many ways we're not holding up the promise that we might have made to the world in the past, and there's certain areas that we are falling behind. Okay, so why, if, if, if there's been some missteps, you still have full confidence in the sort of operability of the vision? Right of America? No, of ISKCON. Oh yes, absolutely. Well, but I'm so, talking about missteps within the United. As an American citizen, the missteps. Oh, you're talking about the missteps. I'm talking of the missteps America. of America. Yeah, I mean, for instance, I mean, I go other parts of the world, and we don't want to make this a, a social political conversation so much, though. Right, right, that, you right. know. But I go to a lot of parts of the world. I have Canadian friends, and they talk about healthcare, and they they're they're shocked. What's 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 with American healthcare? Um, everybody here gets healthcare. And they'll argue that they've got fantastic health care. And they'll, they'll point to all kinds of, um, of studies that say they do. And Britain, a similar kind of response. China, a similar kind of response like that. So, you know, again, not to get on one particular issue, but there's fantastic things in the United States which we should take advantage of and as citizens and people blessed to live here. And at the same time, there's, there's a lot of uh, issues and things that aren't so good, ideally. And the more important point, we would ultimately say the real question is, that whatever my national identity is, wherever I live, um, they all have, op they're all, there are opportunities for advancing our life, not just in terms of the comforts of this life, material comforts, but really the higher purpose, which is to understand what's my spiritual identity, what's my relationship with the divinity. You, you, were, you were talking about there are wonderful things that are provided. For instance, healthcare is an example of a, a where, a, where America might not be at the level of, of China or Northern Europe. I can't say but, China for sure, but definitely other countries. But, but if, if you compare the health systems of the United States with that of Norway, um, what difference does that make? What does ISKCON have to offer? Uh, like, how does this illustrate where ISKCON comes? Well, I think in? your question was, you know, how? What's our perception as Americans? And so, being an American, yeah. Yeah. So, and I think you were kind of expressing maybe sometimes you talk to people and aren't comfortable in that role. My response would be, I'm very much involved in international religious freedom issues, and America has, for many years, been a or probably the leader on international religious freedom issues, and that's a fantastic thing, and I'm very pleased to be part of this country and the role that it has and the amount of religious liberty that's provided to can, people. Can I just say and thank you, time, because I really appreciate that sentiment of yours, and oh, I, I, mean, I don't hear that often. Well, but, I feel like I should hear it more. I don't know who's not, well, anybody that I hang out with is going to say that. Um, I, I think the, the, the point I was just trying to make is, um, according to the teachings of the Bhagavad Gita, this is a world of, of uh, duality. So we're never going to find a perfect situation. Um, 
Bhagavad Gita would teach, we would understand as Krishna devotees, practitioners of bhakti, and I think a lot of would resonate with other great spiritual traditions, that whatever our situation is here, we should try to uh, live as comfortably as we can, and for our families, and for our neighbors, and for our countrymen, but understand to a certain extent, if we too strongly identify with being an American or German or Brit or for that matter a man or a woman, this problem with identity is is a misuse of our time. And it just it sounds complicated, but it just boils down to the first principle of Bhagavad Gita, where the consciousness within the body, where the person within the body, the body's the vehicle, where the soul, where the atma, where the person, and what we really need to be seeking in this life. I, what we're all looking for, but maybe unconsciously, is we all want to be happy. We all want to be satisfied. But if we don't know who that self is, we're going to have a hard time being successful in that effort. And then, you know, as far as... But that doesn't mean we don't appreciate that I'm living in America. It doesn't no. mean that, you know, as a man, I don't have responsibilities to care for my wife or care for my kids or care for my grandkids. Or as a citizen, I don't have responsibilities to pay my taxes. I absolutely do. In fact, I would advocate, I think our teaching would, would make this point, that a spiritually conscious person is more attentive to the, quote, ordinary dealings of life. A, a spiritually aware person is going to be a more conscious mother, a more careful employee, a more caring employer, a more conscientious neighbor, and, and this boils down to not just a, an intellectual adjustment or something, but a genuine sense, go so far as to say a, a realization, a real heart experience of the reality, the fact that this world is not here for me. I'm a part of the whole. I'm ultimately, my nature is to, is to render service to others, ultimately to love others. And as I start becoming aware of that, it's not a question of... of you know, this is my car and why doesn't he get off the road? He's driving so slow. It becomes a sense of God's given us this world and I've got this car and here's another person. He's also a spiritual being and I should respect him and hopefully I can feel some sense of affection even for this person even if he's being obnoxious on the highway because I've got a different worldview. I'm not in competition with everybody around me. I think that's a key factor. I'm not an American in competition with the Russians, or a few years ago, the Germans, or the Vietnamese, but, but I'm, you I'm a spiritual being living in America. But you did systems. Yeah, just to give a response but, to but your the, question. But there, there is sort of a tone of competition there, right? No, no. I would just gave that as an example that you were saying people sometimes might disparage America, and I was just trying to make a balance that it's, it's, it's a, a wonderful place to live. It's a tremendous opportunity for life, this world, and as they say in the next... But we, I would say, we should be not so <clears throat> close-minded to think that because we're in America, it's a great place, quote-unquote. There's no room for improvement. There aren't serious issues that could be improved. And nobody else in the world might have some really good ideas that maybe we could benefit from. We shouldn't be artificially proud. You know, talking to different uh, devotees, devotees, um, uh, I do. There is sort of a disparagement of the world at large. That the world is is not everything you think it is. 
it's worse. And so, therefore, you should engage in spiritual life. But when you sort of become disparaging about the world around you, that doesn't seem to me, that's not, that's not really nice. Um, and so as far as America, it's, it's not a matter of, uh, yeah, I'm in America, uh, I win. It's more like America is a, is, is, is a big project and a big experiment that's ongoing that, that requires a lot of hands to perpetuate. And so it's one thing to feel like, well, I know what my, I understand my civic responsibilities and so I do them. It's another thing to feel like you're contributing to something good. Um, and so with ISKCON, I do feel that sense of uh, I'm contributing to something that I like has benefited me greatly. And, and I'm, I have that deep appreciation. But there is something like that it's a, of a different flavor but but there is an appreciation for the american society its opportunities and also an understanding that its requirements aren't just burdens they're also opportunities and and you know we need a a a, a populace that isn't doing things out of because they have to but because they want to you know what i mean Again, you're touching on a lot of different things. Um, just to your first point, we've had a Vaishnava Christian dialogue in Washington, D.C., a two-day retreat with some Christian leading Christian thinkers, Catholic and Protestant, with Vaishnava leaders, scholars, practitioners for 20 years or more. Two of those years, we chose the topic spirit in the world, affirmation, renunciation. This tension that's there within the Buddhist tradition, within the Christian tradition, within the Vaishnava tradition, within the broader Hindu culture and others as well. What do you do with the world? If, there's, if there is a spiritual reality, what is this world? And you go from some people who like this kind of prosperity theology they talk about these days, well, you know, if God loves you, he'll make you rich. You know, there's, mm -hmm. I don't want to oversimplify that but that's kind of what that, the that's idea pretty is. Much it. <laughs> <laughs> and then you know on the other hand there's some traditions that kind of you know the t intense renunciation and austerity in the world is a bad place it's a place of illusion it's a place you're trapped in you just have to get out of it as quick as you can the Vaishnava tradition the bhakti tradition teaches that the world that we live in is is a gift of god as is my body is a gift of God and my family is a gift of God and my nation is a gift. These are all gifts, you know. We didn't, we didn't plan it. Nobody sat down and, and designed, you know, on some kind of drawing board what kind of family I want to live in and what country I want to be. We're, we're you know, we we come to this world with nothing and we receive so many gifts. Even our education and ability to speak, it's all a gift. Without our parents taking care of us, we'd be dead in a few hours. So we're so dependent on others. So we should appreciate those things and, and acknowledge the goodness that's there and at the same time from a spiritual perspective understand that the world is is it's it's a it's a place of mixed happiness and distress and according to the Vaishnava understanding ultimately 
the higher purpose of this world is to give us an opportunity to reconnect with God or to reconnect with spiritual uh, uh, knowledge. And that if we have that purpose ultimately in mind, everything we do that's directed towards that kind of falls in line and becomes harmonious. It becomes part of, you know, sometimes people talk about the oneness of all things, a lot of different interpretations of that. But light becomes much more holistic. Um, even pain and trauma and even death of loved ones and all they, 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 they have a different perspective knowing that I am but passing through this world. This isn't my only chance. And I think the intense level that we see in America and other places today, uh, I mean like the opioid crisis, um, you know, the other drug-related issues and the, the, the high rate of divorce, high rate of suicide, other types of addictions and, and, and crime, you know, from to ask the question, well, why? why? Why are people, why so many of these issues? And sometimes it's, it's just mistreatment between social classes and things like that and the anger that arises from it. But underlying a lot of that, I believe, and our tradition would teach, is is a is is an unquenchable thirst for more and more material gratification, which the Gita and other traditions would teach. Again, the Bible and this Vaishnava Christian dialogue, it's not enough. It's like our, our teachers give the example. It's like trying to pour fire on gas to put it out, or trying to uh, you know go into the middle of a desert and looking for water. There's no real water in the middle of a desert. We're looking to satisfy our our needs are we want to quench our thirst for satisfaction but we're kind of looking in the wrong place and that leads to this this intense pace of life intense level of stress intense competition and it's just kind of like overheating so that's where my personal critique if we will go back to your early point of, of America I think that we need to have a, a serious discussion about have we lost that focus of what it means to to use an ancient, you know, the old thing, you know, to be the city on the hill. Mm -hmm. And we lost that sense of what it means to be American. Is it all about bigger shopping malls, faster cars, you know, kids being coming adolescents and, you know, the way they conduct themselves at nine years old? And, you know, it, it, is, is that what it's all about? Or is it about calming down that our teachers talk about bringing down the fever and having the freedom to bring down that fever, just to really stop and think, you know, where am I going? You know, yeah. where, where, where am I going? Where's our culture going? Where's the society going? I, I, mean, I remember hearing that, like, John D. Rockefeller, the original founder of the family, I believe, who made oodles of money, being asked one time, what's enough money? How much do you need? And uh, at least this is the story I've heard. His response was, just a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's kind of like an unquenchable force no. that needs a spiritual needs now, a spiritual rec uh, solution. From from my perspective, uh, spiritual traditions tend to look out at society and say, "Well, people need to change. They need to um, to do something to become less animalistic, less fevered, less um, you know intensely fixated on on crazy things." Now. The American system of government seems to have been set up not with the idea of changing anyone's behavior, but with the idea of uh, starting with, okay, this is how people behave. And so we're going to utilize that in, this, in a similar way that you would utilize steam. This is a kind of a power that if we put into this mechanism, which is our government, we're going to generate 
energy, a certain, certain byproducts are going to come out of this machine, but it doesn't address or attempt. And this is, this is, this is a, a very significant aspect of the program, the American program, is that it doesn't really ask you to alter your behavior. It seeks to harness your behavior for some end. Does that make sense? I would almost say that's more kind of a spiritual, at least that's the bhakti tradition. Don't change what you're doing, but just change the consciousness behind it. You know, we all listen to music, well, most of us listen to music, but we, if you observe, there are certain types of music that affect us in different ways. And, you know, there's some types of music that are popular from time to time that where they're very, you know, they talk about violent acts. They talk about women in very demeaning, degrading nothing other than a sex object type of, of, of sound vibration. That ultimately, in the sense of freedom, okay, yeah, people can, can do that. They've got the right. America gives us, gives us the freedom to do that. But as thoughtful people, <clears throat> we should be asking ourselves, what's the effect of that, at least on me? Maybe I can't change anybody else's behavior, but at least on me. How does that music affect me? Mm -hmm. um, and, 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 and great spiritual traditions talk about things ranging from music, to the foods we eat. I have freedom. America particularly gives me freedom. The human form of life in general gives me freedom. I can eat whatever I darn well please. But what's the effect of my actions? And how does it affect me? If I'm eating food from a violent source, how does that affect the world? How does it affect me? Um, if I'm listening to music that's got this kind of violent, degrading, you know, whatever, sexist or whatever, racist sounds how does that affect me um, if I if, if I'm associating with people so all these different choices uh, ideally that's why America's great because we have so many choices but how do we use the choices and what's the reaction of the choices just that I have a choice doesn't necessarily mean it's the wise choice to make and so uh, what are you um, what are you recommending uh, I, I would imagine that being a Hare Krishna being um, uh, you know, have, having such a significant role in ISKCON, you really have to think about persuasion in, in, a, in a positive, pragmatic way, because this is your tool, you, because you can't coerce anyone to change their diet, but you have to convince them that it's a good idea. Yes, the, fir the first purpose of our organization is to systematically propagate spiritual knowledge to society at large. Um, whatever gifts we've been given, whatever little insights we have, that we should try to share those with people. And part of that is, is education. You said persuasion, it's education. Um, I mean, it's a fact. You drive down the street, let's just talk, you mentioned diet again, I think I brought it up first, but you drive down the street and there's signs and music and little jingles and a lot of propaganda mm -hmm. and an entire, frankly, tax structure behind it telling us that meat is good. You should eat meat, eat more meat. It's great. You know, all your friends want to hang out at McDonald's or whatever. And, you know, you have like happy cows that are telling people that it's okay. And, you know, you have, you know, we make fun of it, you know, sculpted cows on billboards saying eat more chicken. Ha, ha, ha. But because we've dulled our brains to think about what effect does it have upon me? And they know, you know, meeting, just as an example, more cancers, uh, heart disease, 
um, so many long list of problems that come diseases are directly connected with meat eating. We also know it, it means there's more food. People are like concerned about it. there's not enough food for people on the planet. We are the main causes of that. People are concerned about environment. People that, you know, scholars that have studied these things say, if there's one thing you want to do to help the environment, okay, I drive a Prius, I recycle, I try to cut down my water consumption, etc. I, I do all those things personally. The one thing, if we really want to make a difference, become a vegetarian. Now, it's not a question of, uh, uh, you know, even like say, okay, maybe persuasion, but educating people to understand that these things are good for you. And they're good mm -hmm. for us, they're good for the planet. But the difficulty is there are other people advocating different opinions, part of a free culture, great, everybody should have a go at it. But we also need to recognize that oftentimes ideas are propagated, taught to us because there may be very selfish economic interests. Behind they're not in them. our interest. They're not in our interest and ultimately they're not in their own interest. They're, they're kind of like bewildered what their own interest is. You know, a chief executive that's, you know, promoting to get everybody around the world to smoke cigarettes. It's in his short-term interest, but in long-term interest, what kind of world is he helping to create mm. for himself, for his children, for his great-grandchildren, etc. So that's part of the message of Bhagavad Gita. They use these terms, Sanskrit, Shreyas and Prayas. We tend to just look for short-term benefit, but we're meant to be thinking more in terms of what are our long-term benefits. Like they talk about the Native American at least some of the Native American cultures would make decisions, you know, you hear this a lot, pop culture idea of what Native Americans would teach and that, you know, what's the impact seven generations down the road? At the very least, what's the impact on me? I was driving down the road just yesterday, I was coming back from someplace and driving my Prius, and a young guy went through the traffic. I was going to speed limit, probably 55, I think it was on the Beltway here in Washington, D.C., he was on a motorcycle, weaving in and out between the cars. Yeah. And I was like actually praying, you know, dear Krishna, you know, please protect this young man. Right. He, he has was, no he was, idea. He was burning off testosterone, basically. Possibly, <laughs> possibly, and who knows what caused it. Yeah. But the bottom, and maybe he's justifiably upset, angry, whatever motivates him. But the big question is, this is potentially very self-destructive behavior. I mean, he was just a you know foot away from killing himself multiple times. So you know you feel some sympathy and some empathy, and you want to help people say, "Hey, <laughs> where are you going so fast in such a self-destructive way? Please think about it more carefully." Do you think it should be against the law to eat meat? No, because no. we can't mandate that. Why not? Because it's it's because again we live in a free country. It's not a, you know if there was a king that maybe could tell the citizens, okay, I want you to live a healthy diet, and therefore, it's against the law to kill animals. Okay, we could possibly do that, but at this point in time, just just you know to say we're going to pass a law. America's a democracy. You need to help convince people to realize their own self-interest is this is good for us. But and then maybe practical things. I mean, say now the laws are loosening, but. You know, you, you can't just go buy liquor if you're 12 years old. They realize right. this is a potentially very, it is a very harmful substance. So there's oh, yeah. some restrictions. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a question of awakening people's but understanding. When I said, you know, if you could make eating meat against the law, what I meant was the implication of everything that goes into making the law in the United States. So that would have to go through the House and the Senate they would have to, uh, you know, draft the legislation. But if that were the case, would that be something you would be happy about? Well, I mean, it's a very hypothetical question. That's not going to happen until 
um, the citizens are educated understand that hey this is not good for me um, I don't want my tax dollars going into producing whatever it is these days at 399 you know Whopper or Big Mac you know I have seen some analysis of that they didn't supplement that with all kinds of government money for grazing and this and that what the real cost would be I don't want my tax dollars to go into that let it go into something else um, I don't want that kind of food. Let, let, let's minimize those foods being served to kids in, in schools. If, we know they're harmful. Um, you know, the citizens have to become more and more aware that this is not a good practice. And let's not, at the very least, let's not supplement it with tax dollars. Let's educate people about the harms that are involved there and, and not just continue just promoting it as if it's, it's you know, part of the American way. And it's, it's a free country, people are going to make that choice, that's fine, but there's going to be a lot less people. So I, I can see that, you know, if you reach the point that, you know, 80% of people say this isn't good and, you you know, there's more restrictions there. But the, at the beginning, just educate people properly so they can make the right decisions. And I think more likely there'll be laws that say, well, let's just stop spending whatever it is millions and millions of dollars supplementing the meat industry if it's causing so many health issues or let's talk about i've seen some sometimes people talk about let's look at health care plans just like now if you try to buy life insurance if you're a smoker you pay a certain percentage more so that's just because people have educated themselves i'm sure it wasn't there 70 years ago but now it's standard fare if you smoke you pay more for life insurance so educate people if you eat meat you likely should pay more for life insurance if you, etc. So let, let, there, there's there's step by step ways of people responding to to a, a better understanding of what it means to have a healthy, balanced life without that, mandating something. ISCON seems to have a pretty strong idea of of um, of what is in everyone's self interest. Sort of um, this is what's good for you. And and here here's what's bad for you, but you can't um, really convey that until to, to anyone unless they trust you, because there's a lot of people sort of competing to tell people what they should eat, how they should behave, um, what they should do. Uh, do you think that people in general trust ISCON to to give advice like that? No, it's a new organization. It's culturally very different from what's been kind of the American pattern. I mean, you see Christian devotees a lot of times wear robes. Um, there's not a real strong tradition of wearing robes these days mm -hmm. in America, so there's some sense of that's different uh, and, and, and strange. And generally we're not so comfortable with things that are different and strange. Um, I think that... Uh, um, yeah, I know. Pe people, people don't. Um, some some people do certainly, but you're talking very general. Yes, very you say, general. You know, a couple of times you said ISKCON feels this, ISKCON feels that. I mean, yeah. you know, we're a global organization of whatever, you know, 10 million people or something like that. Um, so, you know, what does that mean that not everybody has the same opinions on all these ideas? But but certainly, question of you know trust. But it just goes back to education. If if something is 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 actually well established. And, and there's substantial evidence to support something, then it's a question of making people more aware. Uh, and I think that uh, 
you know, sometimes they say prophetic voices. You look historically, biblical sources and everything else. You know, prophetic voices aren't always welcomed initially, but if it's there's if there's truth behind it, then gradually an awareness comes up. Do you think society needs ISKCON? I think society needs spiritual values. I think that the, the ISKCON or the Hare Krishna movement is one of many uh, communities of people that are trying to, as, as an individual Krishna devotee or practitioner, I'm trying to take advantage of what I've learned from my spiritual tradition and share it with others if they find it relevant and helpful and appropriate that's great and at the same time I'm trying to always be very open to learn from others whether they're a, a secular person or a spiritual person or this is the the bottom line vision as I understand it of a of, you know say a God conscious person or someone who's a little spiritually aware is to see that I have time has been given to me as a gift to grow as an opportunity for me to learn and I do have an identity beyond just the 60 70 years I may be living in this world and that I have the opportunity to to learn and I should take advantage and I should be open to that and not just be so absorbed in the temporal experiences that I don't keep track of what may be better now you mentioned earlier your, your last question you kind of start out by saying Iskan has a strong idea of what's in people's self-interest yes and we would say what that means is look out to figure out what your self-interest is. Be very self-critical. Be self-analytical. Don't be fooled and pulled along by social norms that may be good. I mean, you know, think about like whatever was in the 40s. They came out with radioactive watches. It was like the real hip thing. If you had enough money, have a radioactive watch. And a few years later, they realized, okay, well, you know, people are dying from right. their watches, okay? It's conceivable something similar could happen with smartphones, but we, we, we have yet to find <laughs> Sure, yeah, exactly, unfortunately. And, and I mean, you know, you think of like in the, you know, Humphrey Bogart areas of making films and all that, everybody was smoking, and then people started realizing, well, hey, it's okay, it looks like it's uh, sophisticated, actually, it's killing you. So, you know, people, a lot of the stuff that we're kind of fed in mainstream society, yeah. because it's what everybody does, is not necessarily good for us. So when you say we have an idea of self-interest, it would be first and foremost, <clears throat> make sure you're clearly thinking about your own self-interest and not just going along with the mass of society because that's what everybody does. Yeah. So if, if you're listening to this and you're like, wow, Hare Krishnas, um, uh, definitely not a direction... I would be inclined to go, but I want to find out more about what, what's up with them. I would imagine that you're involved in providing those kind of resources. Well, I think, you know, the main resources that we try to kind of bring to society and share with the world are translations of the ancient Vedic or Vaishnava wisdom teachings, the Bhagavad Gita, um, the Srimad Bhagavatam, which less people are familiar with. These are books that have been around for many, many centuries, and they prod us to ask these deeper kind of questions. Where have I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going? And to some extent, these are questions some modern people just kind of cast off, like, well, there's no answer. Don't bother yourself with that. Just kind of, you know, eat, drink, and be merry. 
mm-hmm. whereas uh, as we would say, we're, we're, we are bringing forth this information because it, it gives very practical insights and something that you can read and say, oh, that makes sense. You know, that explains a lot of things I've never really tried to figure out. I, I can't see how it fits together. This seems to bring all the pieces together. For instance, trying to understand things like karma, how we end a particular situation I'm in. As we mentioned before, the advantages of a vegetarian diet, learning how to, um, for instance, the, the Vedas teach like like mantras, like the self-purification processes to help us be better people. But these things are being conveyed to the public at large how? Um, largely through literature. Uh-huh. We believe in people by, you know, studying, learning things. Um, we have 650 communities around the world, temples, that have uh, services and courses and things going on seven days a week um, that the public's invited to. We sponsor a huge number of festivals around the world. Here in Washington, D.C., we're part of the 4th of July, brings back your mm-hmm. America theme. Yeah. You know, we see ourselves, yeah, we're American, so let's contribute to America. Here's our contribution. Somebody else okay. is a farmer. Somebody else is a teacher. Somebody else. Of course, we have people in different professions within our broader congregation, but just in terms of the tradition itself, our, our, our contribution is, is to help say, hey, there are, meth- there are methods of going deeper and understand ourselves better. You know, there's methods of meditation and, and mantra and, and ways of living that can help us kind of calm down our the crazy pace of life and help us experience a deeper sense of happiness. We don't say we have all the answers, that nobody else has any answers. We don't say this is exclusive path or truth. We say, look, the divinity, however people understand it or him or that being, is continuously sending messages, giving information, so many great traditions are there. And they all have at least one thing in common, which is there's more to life than what meets the eye. Mm. Go deeper. You know, it's said that the great Greek philosophers, I think Socrates said, uh, an unexamined life is not worth leading. So again, that's kind of a message that resonates with us. We are meant to examine our life. Why are we here? Why is there death? Why do I have to grow old? Why so many problems in the world? And the spiritual traditions, they answer that because they tell us this is not our home and there's a higher purpose and seek that purpose and the other difficulties become less strident. Uh, You know, I think it's fair to say that wisdom is not um, geographical. Mm -hmm. So it, it, it appears in many places and in many cultures and in many circumstances. Absolutely. So why are you focused on the uh, um, Ganges Valley 5,000 years ago? Myself. Uh, yeah. Well, I think, you know, you know, as you're kind of asking personally, why, why the Krishna tradition? Yeah. Um, I, 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 when I was a younger man, I, I read a lot of different traditions. I, I went to Zen Buddhist retreats. I was attending Methodist church. I was going to the Hare Krishna temple. I was reading in those days popular book, Be Here Now. Mm-hmm. Um, I was hanging around with what we're called in these days. I'm dating myself now. Jesus Freaks. In the 70s, there was this term, Jesus Freaks. Uh, and, and, and I found tremendous benefit from all of those people. I was inspired by all of those people. I was convinced by their very presence that there is something higher 
to be sought in life more than just a car and a house and a swimming pool and a prestigious position and then you grow old and die and you lose it all. I mean, I was a young person thinking, this is ridiculous. Is this what there is to life? And I became very interested in a lot of different, I, I studied political science and, and social science and philosophy in school and university, largely motivated by a desire to try to make things better. I saw there's a world, there's too much inequity, you know, racial inequity, racial strife, uh, you know, gender inequity, political inequity, national inequity, and, and, and all these different, you know, the world's got a lot of problems. And I generally wanted to try to help make a difference. And as I studied deeper and tried to understand what can I do, I personally became convinced that no political system is going to solve all the problems. There are political systems that can repress to one extent or the other your ability to seek solutions, but no political solution in itself is the solution to what the problems we face. It's deeper, it's, it's metaphysical challenges we face. And I studied these different traditions and became very inspired and, and, and felt that the Krishna tradition, the Bhakti tradition, for me, it, it, it answers a lot of questions I found other traditions didn't, and it provided a very, some very practical steps how to apply spiritual life. Now, having said that, I go to church a few times a year. I like to go to church on Christmas. I've got some, we, we do this Vaishnava Christian dialogue. We, we worship together. Um, I, I study some, you know, I have, I have some very close Muslim friends. I, I love to hear from them. Um, great respect for the Jewish tradition. I, I, I get a lot from interfaith dialogue that I participate in. Because for me, my belief is, and I think supported by a lot of other things, but my belief is there is a divine, positive, loving force, energy that's moving us all forward and that we're meant to actually awaken knowledge of who we are, where I came from. And we may be inspired by a Christian tradition, a Jewish tradition, Native American tradition. I feel it's all moving us in the right way, mm -hmm. ideally. Of course, we can make other choices. We, we can make a choice. I don't want to do that. I want to, you know, whatever. I, 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 want, I want to drug myself out and, 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 you know, and try to have sex with as many women in a week as I possibly can and cheat on my friends and all these. You know, I, I, I can make those kind of choices, too. First, we say it's not going to make us happy. And second of all, there's reactions for that. If you're a man, you exploit women, or women exploits men, or whatever your gender is. If you exploit others, there's a reaction. Frankly, if you exploit animals to satisfy my hunger, if it's not an absolute emergency, there's a reaction for that. They feel pain. So if I'm causing pain to another living entity, there's a good chance that I, I, well, I'm going to deserve some pain back. I mean, the laws of thermodynamics, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. If it, if it governs matter, why am I free from those similar types of reactions in what I'm doing and thinking? So all of these things, you know, the Christian tradition kind of seemed to put things in place for me. And um, at the same time, tremendous respect for other traditions. And when I say I had experience a couple years ago, it was at a, a Krishna festival and I've I ran into a fellow who was a, a born, as they say, born-again Christian, was out with his wife, kind of talking to strangers about Jesus. I talked to him about 15 minutes, and, and he was convinced his tradition was right. I don't know what he really thought about mine. But I was deeply inspired by this man, mm -hmm. and I told him that. I mean, it was it was Memorial Day weekend. He could be doing anything he wants, but he's out because he, he felt, he told me he had, 
problems with alcohol and he was cheating on his wife and his life was falling apart and he became a Christian and he really feels the presence of Jesus in his life and he turned his life around. And he's out there sharing that with people. And I was deeply moved that he's had such a deep, profound religious or spiritual experience. He's changed his life and he really wants to share with other people. That makes me feel, wow, God is working in so many ways. I mean, it's just, it's, it's just, it increases my faith as a devotee of Krishna, which is a Sanskrit name for God. It means the all-attractive person. And increases my faith in God, who I know with the name of Krishna, um, that to see he's working, as you said earlier on, in so many different countries, in so many different places, in so many different traditions. And I, I, I very deeply believe that same personality is working through these different religious traditions and helping people. Like the Christians say, as a loving father, you know, the Supreme mm-hmm. Mother, like that. In in um, here at the temple, there's a variety of um, activities that you can engage in that that fall under the umbrella of devotional service or bhakti yoga. So uh, the main ones are kirtan, the um, chanting, the musical chanting, the deity worship, mm-hmm. um, which is a more structured kind of ritualistic. It, 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 practice more common in Eastern traditions. It's similar. Orthodox Christianity has some similar ideas. But the idea of focusing one's mind on a divine image and one's devotion, and it it helps us progress in our spiritual life. Yeah, that's one of our practices. I've just named two, but but I want to know... Eating sanctified foods. I mean, we talked a lot about vegetarianism. We also believe that if you follow a vegetarian diet, there are ways through one's devotion and one actually offers that food to God that, that you've given me all of this I you produce the fruits and the grains and, and the other things that we're eating uh, they're your gifts so before I eat this food let me offer it back to you you've given it to me let me reciprocate by offering mm. it to you first and that, that actually our, our tradition teaches that the food itself becomes sanctified just by eating that food my heart my mind becomes peaceful and purified yeah. So a lot of siblings. And the mantra meditation, oh, yes. we also practice mantra meditation for a Western audience, perhaps, that are listening, um, similar to like a rosary or, or like Buddhists also chant on beads, Muslims chant on beads, as, a, as again, a methodology of first training my mind to be a little calmer mm-hmm. so I can think about more important things and not just the rat race that's going on around me externally kind of focus my, my meditation, my mind on more internal things. And we understand our tradition by particularly reciting the names of Krishna, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare, or whatever name of God, the divinity that one is attracted to. By reciting those names of God, I'm actually in touch with God. I'm, just, I'm directly touching the spiritual energy and it spiritualizes me. Our teaching is a very simple example. If you put iron in a fire, after a while, by that association, it becomes like fire. So I may be, you know, a confused and, and kind of ordinary guy, but if I put myself in the fire, so to speak, of spiritual experience, spiritual practice, mantra meditation, I take on those qualities. Whatever mm-hmm. obstacles, shortcomings, limitations I may have, I overcome those. Well, I wanted to ask you, what's your favorite of those practices? What do you, where do you incline to? Like, if you're, what, what do you, what, what is your, where is your deepest satisfaction? Uh, and it could be actually, you know, I asked this to Ananda. She said it was, it was like listening to a really good lecture. Uh, for some people, it's the music. Um, 
But what is your, um, what do you like? I like the philosophy, and I think more than that, I like to try to give back to society at large, um, in more sense like my practical service. I like, I like fighting for religious liberty. Mm. I like being the representative of ISKCON who talks with attorneys and says, yes, we want to sign on this legal document, amicus briefs, with the Florida State Supreme Court protecting a Muslim prisoner's right to have a beard. We want to support an effort by, you know, Catholic nuns to, you know, have their own type of health insurance that they feel doesn't violate their principles about the right to life and abortion, supporting drugs and things like that. And, um, I like doing those kind of things. I, I like building social networks of people concerned about where society's going, and again, how do we educate people properly? Well, well, this, That's what I like the most. It's funny because this this really takes us back to my very first question, which I thought was out of left field, but it sounds to me like civic engagement is what you like. You, so you like to be involved in the civic aspects, uh, which is which you know I would consider. Um, determining laws and, and educating people and fighting for the freedom of religion in society and other human rights and yeah so know, this is animal you, rights I'm and like, you are civically engaged very and, much yeah and it goes back to what's what what's my you know department what's my function within the Krishna tradition is is working with other members of our organization and trying to encourage them more and more on a local level to be involved because I, I think that um, <clears throat> like we talked about spirit in the world, renunciation, affirmation, certain people will say, and I think that you brought this tension up earlier, okay, I'm a Christian devotee, or I'm a Buddhist monk, or I'm a Christian, and I'm, you know, they have a whole tradition of, you know, the Desert Fathers removing themselves from the world. The Bhakti tradition says more, okay, I remove myself from those activities, those environments that, use a monitor, bring me down, mm -hmm. You know, darken my consciousness, evoke selfishness, evoke greed. There are activities. You know, you, sure. you, again, we talk about music, this and that. They, they, they pull that out of me. So let me step back from the world, from those types of things that cause me to maybe be a downward force and not an upward force in the world. But then slightly insulated or isolated from those specific things mm. let me live in the world you know jesus said live in the world but not of the world mm -hmm. so i think that you know i i talk about this sometimes when i give lectures and things in our communities that a christian devotee i would say spiritually minded person in general should be you know the most conscientious parent their their spirituality or in my tradition you know or the krishna devotee should be ideally they should be striving to be the the best parent you know not that they overstress themselves like you know that's not the point well yeah but it's not they just blow it off they, well there's we, a balance for I sure i want to be a good parent i want yeah. to be a good citizen it's just not that my spiritual tradition tells me to hell with the world but right. it's to hell with my selfish desire to exploit the world at the risk of others mm -hmm. let me put that aside let me see how I can make a positive contribution. Understanding we are ultimately all connected, and our tradition teaches there is a loving supreme person who 
we have a relationship with. We've forgotten that to one extent or the other. Now this life is an opportunity to reawaken that. So let me live in that spirit now. And to whatever extent people want to hear about that, let me educate them, help them, serve them in that capacity. And if they don't, at least let me try to make a contribution that's kind of balancing maybe some of the negative forces in the world. It goes back to education. A lot of people out there propping and pushing, 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 eat more meat, eat more meat. So at least like, hey, this isn't good for you guys. Here's why it's bad for me. It's bad for the animals. It's bad for the planet. So, hey, think these things through a little bit better. Please use your free will a little more carefully. I think that's the social engagement and social role that, that, that Christian devotees would aspire to play. And that's what I aspire to, to do. I want to thank you so much for for uh, taking the time for this podcast. I appreciate it. There's, there, there really are so many more questions I would love to ask. And uh, unfortunately, we don't have time. But um, I'm, I'm very grateful for the time you've spent. Uh, you are listening to Questions for the Sages. I'm Michael Scherer. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. Many thanks again to Anutama Das for sitting for this interview. My only regret is that there was not enough time to ask more questions. Thanks to Rico Hayes for the theme music and to Miriam Lansky for discussions about how to approach the subject matter of the podcast. Thank you also to the Hare Krishna community of Potomac, Maryland for making this podcast possible. I'm Michael Scherer, and you've been listening to Questions for the Sages. Mm-hmm.